You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. The story of the scar. You would think that reading this passage where we did in these three verses, I can agree with you that um, that title is a little puzzling. Amen. Amen. But. But I decided to parachute us into the end, amen, where there was victory, amen. But victory doesn't necessarily <laughs> come at the end. That, that, that's, that's a good point to, to know, but it's even better oftentimes to know what the beginning point was. That how you arrived at victory, how far you've traveled to victory and what course you took to get to victory. So I showed us in these verses the victory that Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel uh, got in Second Chronicles chapter 20. But I want to remind you that oftentimes victory starts with a scar. Amen. Amen. But as we talk about these resources and relying on our kingdom supply, again, this is all within the context of being kingdom strong. Believe it or not, and I had no idea it would be like this, we started talking about being kingdom strong about this time last year. I didn't know how many messages it would be. I I never know how how God unfolds certain things as he speaks through me uh, for our edification. I didn't know if it would be 15 messages, 20 messages. It's it's coming up at around 50 messages at this point. Amen. Not something that I had planned for, but I'm glad that I have had the opportunity to participate in because we're talking about being kingdom strong and when we talked about talk about being kingdom strong we were able to break that down into really four distinct um uh, different segments around refining our kingdom sight raising our kingdom skill um <clears throat> remembering our kingdom struggle and then relying on our kingdom supply amen and so these last couple of weeks we've been focused on our kingdom supply and when you think of kingdom supply of course we we, we went to Ephesians of course chapter 6 and we said finally my brethren be what strong in the Lord and in the power of his might so there there we have that that command to truly be kingdom strong as as we've interpreted that as as we've discussed that about being strong be strong in the lord and that and that kingdom uh resource that i mentioned or that's mentioned excuse me in scripture there is the armor of god and from there we talked about the breastplate of righteousness the shield of faith loins girded about with truth feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and so we spent some time talking about the armor of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we spent some time talking about the resource of the written word of God. Amen. 
Uh, and we also spent some time even in talking about the written word of God. We talk about the, the logos and the rhema word of God. And then just very naturally it flows to, it's not the resource we have is not just the written word of God. The ultimate resource that, that we have as he has revealed himself to us is the living word of God. Amen. Because without the living word of God, what's the point? If he's not alive, if he didn't do what he did, he makes the entirety of us being kingdom possible because you can't have a kingdom without a king. Amen. And the king is the living word of God. So we talked about who he is and what he is uh, to you and uh and and to me so the written word of god the living word of god there and we will we we will we'll talk soon about a, a couple of more elements but i wanted to give you and me a a a look at a weapon that's not there in ephesians chapter 6 but a weapon as it plays itself out in second chronicles chapter 20 that's that's dynamic that's important that is integral to every phase of victory in a battle and that weapon is warfare praise and you say well maybe as you look you may not see it but now you can see it as you look at at the end of that passage but but I'm telling you right now and you can write praise is in every phase of the victory for you and me to be kingdom strong amen let me let me say that again as you look at the pattern of scripture particularly as it is recorded here in second chronicles praise is in every phase of the victory that's how you and i can maintain kingdom strength that's how we can continue to be kingdom strong because praise will be in every phase of the victory praise matters beloved amen praise matters here's the here's the reason why i would submit to you that praise matters because you cannot praise him and worry at the same time amen so when you talk about remembering your uh the the kingdom struggle that we have and the the things that which you can't praise him and worry at the same time you can't praise him and be fearful at the same time you can't praise him and be angry at the same time amen there's certain things you just can't do if your focus is on your heavenly father and jesus whom he has sent if you start to praise you can't do some other things matter of fact this is really important, particularly for the children of Israel and, and for us as we look at the children of children of Israel. You can't praise and complain at the same time. And you know how we love to complain. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. But we can find a complaint in just about anything. And as we look at the children of Israel, they are our inspiration and our cautionary tale around what they were as i have described to you in the past world class complainers amen and you and i seem to be no different but praise matters because you can't praise and worry at the same time you can't praise and complain at the same time so prayer um, excuse me praise is a weapon in the fight 
And second Chronicles really outlines for us this, um, this battle that the children of, of Israel are, are, are facing. And so go back to chapter one in your, in your Bible and, and, or on your app in second Chronicles chapter 20. And again, I showed you, uh, I parachuted us near the end. That's not even the exact, exact, exact end, but I'm going to tell you this. I'll give you the points up front. And then we'll walk it back because you need some context around it. But let me tell you this. Praise will be in the prayer. Praise will be in the prophecy. Praise will be in the predicament. And praise will be in the provision. Amen. Let me just let me just break it down for you so that you know where we're going. As you see this passage, you will notice praise will be in the prayer. Praise will be in the prophecy. Praise will be in the predicament and praise will be in the provision. He will walk you all the way from the beginning to the end. As John Witherspoon would tell you from the rooter to the tutor. <laughs> praise is there and it is weaved in every phase of the victory. Now, verse one says this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meonites. Amen. I don't even I haven't even heard of the Meonites before. I don't even know if they hopped up on the scene, but the Meonites, amen, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And here's my verse. This is the verse. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord <laughs> and proclaimed a fast. For all of Judah. Listen, listen. Sometimes you don't have a choice in the war that we have. Amen. Sometimes the battle comes to you. Jehoshaphat is minding his own business. Amen. The people of Judah are minding their own business. Sometimes you don't have a choice in the battle. And again, you got to constantly be ready, not just to stand, but as Ephesians 6 also reminds you to withstand, which means that there are forces that are coming against you. Satan does not want to see you victorious in any way, shape or form. And so you can you can apply that in this situation where you look at this and you say, Jehoshaphat was minding his own business and the ites came to see him. And the ites in your life can come and see you. And they will end up making you uh, answer this question. What you going to do? Amen. Not what are you going to do? What you going to do? Jehoshaphat in verse three was rightly so alarmed. Amen. There'll be places in your life when you see the enemy coming and when things happen that you also will be what alarmed you should be. But it's what you do next that shows what you really believe about God. Amen. And there it is, right in, it says, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved 
to call his mama. No, 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 no. Alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to Google what is a Meonite and find out their strength and pull all of that information down. No, alarmed, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. That's got to be your first move in any situation. It's got to be, I want to inquire of the Lord. Amen. Verse three reminds us that if you want to get victory in, in the battle, if you want to get victory, ultimately at the end of second Chronicles chapter 20, you better inquire of the Lord up front. Amen. Make an inquiry of the Lord. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help coming from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so oftentimes what we do is we we don't make the right inquiry. And if you ask the wrong person, you will likely get the wrong answer. Amen. But but what I love and about this is there is a there is a word that's there that makes me say we have to take it back. He didn't, it didn't say alarmed. Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord. No, it says Jehoshaphat, uh, alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire. So, so, something's going on when you have to have some resolve to inquire. That means there's a story there. Amen. And if there's a story there, why you need to be resolved, there's probably a scar there that tells that story. Amen. That's what I'm talking about when I say there's a story of the scar. There, there's something that happened in Jehoshaphat's life that he got to a place where if it was you and if it was me, this this passage could have been an extra 9, 10, 15 verses where it's not for Jehoshaphat. Why? Because Jehoshaphat resolved himself to inquire of the Lord. He didn't make all of the mistakes that you and I might make where we try to figure it out ourselves, where we, we try to solve it and we go to the wrong person and we go to the internet and we go to friends and other people that can't really give us the answer that we need. If you have a problem of this magnitude, when the battle is coming to you, when there's spiritual Oh, I guess, I guess physical force is coming against you in a situation of invasion. The enemy wants you to be stressful. Amen. Go, go, go back to those, the, to those classic kingdom perspectives that we talked about. I gave you 11 of those before. And, and, and in the midst of preparing this, the Lord said, I'm going to drop a 12th one on you. You remember when we were talking about being kingdom strong, we were saying in a place of decision, in a place of provision or transgression or expression, the enemy wants you to be one way. God wants you to be another way. The enemy wants you to be doubtful when God wants you to be trustful. The enemy wants you to be shameful when God wants you to be sorrowful. The enemy wants you to be fretful when God wants you to be hopeful. We talked about those things. And so now I'm telling you again, I'm a give you the end before the beginning in the place of invasion amen when you need to have some real courage when the when the battle is on and the battle is raising in the place of invasion when you're minding your business the enemy wants you to be stressful the enemy wants you to throw off caution. The enemy wants you not to focus. The enemy wants you to start to try to solve your things by yourself. And you know how you get and you know how I get when we get under stress. We begin to panic. And this is what God wants. He doesn't want you to be stressful at the end of the day in a place of invasion. God wants you to be praiseful. 
Because as this passage will remind us, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Amen. And for you and for me, if you're stressful, you're adding a whole lot of verses to your story. Jehoshaphat was alarmed and then Jehoshaphat was resolved. But there's a reason why he was resolved. You got to go back to second Chronicles chapter 18. And hopefully when you understand what I say, there's that there's always a story with a scar. Amen. When, when something goes wrong in your life, oftentimes the Lord will allow you to be all right, to escape, to, to be okay, but you can carry a scar with you as a reminder. Amen. I have several scars that over time are not as prominent as they were when I first got them. But every scar tells a story. Amen. This scar in the middle of my head is the story of trying to be Superman and trying to test the laws of gravity. I was a young kid. I had just watched the Superman program it was in the 70s so this is superman it was in black and white superman flew i wanted to fly too so i got out on the balcony and i jumped flat out like he did and unlike him i sunk straight to the pavement and therefore i now have a scar and now i know and understand before like never i have resolved myself that I cannot fly like Superman. Amen. So I know about this. This is the scar for that. Amen. There's a story behind that scar. There's a story behind this scar on my, my cheek right here. That's not even so much prominent. You can't even see it, but this is my don't mess with a, uh, a, a, a tennis court, uh, net at at summer camp at Bear Lake Scar. I know what that scar is. And every time I see it, I know. I know that there was a tennis net that was out there at Bear Lake. And, they, and it was this handle that if you you would push it down, then it, the net would be up and it would be taunt. And if you pulled it up this way, the net would go down. But there was this kind of tension that you had on it where if you it got to a certain point and then it would snap in place. The net's either supposed to be up or down, clearly, because the net is not supposed to be played with over and over by somebody that that doesn't know what they're doing. So if you do this over and over and over and you get your face closer and closer and closer and you think it's getting ready to snap in place and it doesn't and it pops up and goes this way, you will have a Bear Lake tennis court scar on your face. And I know all about that. And it's a reminder to me that you don't need to play around with the tennis court at Bear Lake. That's my scar. So I have resolved myself that when I go to tennis courts, I play. I don't mess with the net. And I got a scar to prove it. And you've got some scars in your life. Hopefully, 
you would hope that you don't. Every scar, beloved, really should tell a different story, though. Amen. If you've got multiple scars, come on, somebody telling the same story. That tells me something about you. Amen. That tells me something about the fact that you, you're, you're being a little hard headed with yours. You should not have but one. 111th Street YMCA door pushback scar on your face. Amen. You shouldn't have more than one. You got to learn the lesson that when you push the door as you go into the men's locker room, if somebody's on the other side and you're standing too close to the door and they push back, that they could bust your cheek wide open and force you to go to Roseland Hospital up the street. Well, God definitely needs to show himself strong and get you out of a situation where you could have more than just a scar. You may have to pay with your life. I spent half my childhood at Roseland Hospital, amen, because of these scars, amen. And so every scar should tell a different story. And so, but, but you have to, and what should happen is when you have experiences in your life, it should make you resolve to do the right thing. And so that you don't have that same scar. I got all the scars I have on my, on my body. Every last one of them, there's only that scar tells one story, a very unique story. And I don't have to tell that story again because I moved on from that experience knowing that you don't need uh, to continue to get those kind of scars. But maybe overall, I was just a little hard-headed because I kept getting into the same kinds of things, but not the exact same thing. But in Second Chronicles chapter 18, Jehoshaphat has a story that, that, that has a scar. And it's important for you and I to know where he starts so that when you see a sentence, a simple sentence that says alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved. I want you and I to get to a place. I want us to get to a place where we are resolved that the first thing we do when we are alarmed, the first thing that we do when there's trouble, the first thing that we do when the enemy is menacing us, the first thing we do is to inquire of the Lord. That's that. That's the point. That's the takeaway for you. That's the takeaway for me. Let, now let's look at his scar. Let's look at what happened. Uh, it, now, Jehoshaphat had great wealth. I'm in chapter 18 and verse 1. Now, Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he had allied, allied himself with Ahab by marriage. That's a problem if you didn't know. You know who King Ahab is, and if you don't remember who King Ahab is, Ahab is, you might remember who he was married to. He was married to Queen Jezebel. And if you don't know anything about Queen Jezebel, you at least know that her name rings out even now because the worst thing you can say besides calling a woman a B word is to call her a Jezebel, which is basically the same thing. It's like you Jezebel, you huzzy, you would, I mean, if you said that maybe, so her, her rep still rings out in terms of the evil that she perpetrated and the things that she did. And you know, she tangled with Elijah many times. But anyway, he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. He's the king of Judah. Ahab's the king of Israel. Some years later, he went down to visit and, and, and slaughtered many sheep. And, and Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Ramoth, the people have urged him to attack Ramoth Gilead. He said, will you go with me? And Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are. And my people is your people. We will join you in this war. 
And then Jehoshaphat also said to the king. So it's like good. And then I think the king walked away. And then Jehoshaphat did the Columbo thing. He said, one more thing. I just, just want to tell you one more thing. First, seek the counsel of the Lord. Ahab was like, okay, so the king of Israel brought together all the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Go, they said, for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? It's like that little chorus of prophets that you just brought in, the ones that just say, oh, go do it. It's like something don't smell right on them. Something doesn't seem right with this group. So is there a prophet of the Lord to whom we can inquire? And the king of Israel answered, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. I just love the fact that it's just so out there, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me. You know why he doesn't prophesy anything good about you? Because you're never doing anything good. If you're up to no good all the time and you ask the man of God, what are you doing or what do you think about my activity? The man of God will tell you you're up to no good and therefore I'm not going to say anything good about it. So if you're a prophet and you're in the school of the prophets or you're in this group of 400, they just, come on somebody, they just signed off on everything they see. You've seen that before, not with prophets, but you've seen it in government. You've seen it when 45 says something and everybody that's around him that's in his party signs off on what he says, regardless of what is right or wrong, whether it's good or bad. That is not the way to roll. And Micaiah was like, no, no. The king said, I hate him, but it, everything he says is always bad. It's Micaiah, son of Imla. The king should not say that. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. They dressed up in their royal robes. And it says, now Zedekiah had made iron horns and he declared, this is what the Lord says with these two who gore the uh, uh, Arameans till they are destroyed. All the other prophets, this is what they told him before they brought him in the room. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Raymond Gilead and be victorious for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. And they look and told him, it says, look, as one man, the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell you only what my God says. I got a conscience and I have accountability and I got to tell you what God tells me. And when they arrived, the king said, Micaiah, shall we go up against, uh, to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious for they will be given into your hand. He was like, Nah, 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 nah. I know that's not what you mean. How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And then Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Don't go. He said, don't go. Go home in peace. It's not going to be successful. He said, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? He never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad. 
Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And then he he pulls back the scene in heaven where he says, listen, the Lord said, I, I, I who who will go and, and, and talk to him and 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 entice the Ahab king of Israel to attack. And, and one of the one of the, the uh, spirits said a spirit came forward and said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Again, remember how we're talking about with spiritual warfare, that the things that are in the visible realm and the things that are in, in the invisible realm. And see, we get a chance to, to see a peel back on that. And so the reason those prophets prophesied the way they did, because there was a spirit that enticed them to lie and put a lying uh, spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. You will succeed in enticing them. Go and do it. And that's what happened. Now you hear that. You're Jehoshaphat. Micaiah said, it's not going to end up well for you if you go he tells you what happened in the throne room of heaven around uh, around god and the spirits around said i'm gonna send a spirit to be a lying spirit in the in the mouth of all of those prophets and the king says take micaiah send him to ammon and say to put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until i return safely because i did my job micaiah micaiah gets thrown into prison but look at verse 27 micaiah declared if you ever return safely the Lord has not spoken through me. Mark my words, all you people. And then you see verse 28, which makes no sense at all. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. What? Jehoshaphat knew enough to know to inquire of the Lord. Jehoshaphat knew enough. To know that when he inquired that what he heard back from those prophets was not the word of the Lord. He knew enough to go get another. And then when the prophet tells him what he needs to know and tells him, don't go. If you return safely, he was talking to King Ahab in particular. The word of God has not spoken to me. Verse 28 should have read, my brother, good luck with all that. I'm getting on my scooter and I'm heading back down to Judah. I'm out. And then when you hear the plan of the king of Israel, when he says to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguise. So now you're trying to set me up so that everybody thinks that I'm the king and you're not the king because you're going to hide. But but I'm going to be out there again. This is just all of this is 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 wrong. But. Here's what happened. When the chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat, they thought this is the king, so they turned to attack him. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. For when the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him. You can almost hear Jehoshaphat as he cries out, help me. Lord, I need your help. Just can't make it without your help. He cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard him and helped him. Amen. But that still leaves a scar where you say that was close. (laughs) See, again, that was he had partial obedience, not full obedience. What is the purpose of inquiring of the Lord, beloved, if you don't do what God says? Let me say that. Again, there is no point in inquiring of the Lord if you don't plan on 
doing what God says. It's not good enough to start any situation and say, let me ask God. And then when God speaks as he does in the experiencing God Bible study, it talks about God speaks through the Holy Spirit by prayer and circumstances, his people and his word to reveal himself, his purposes and his ways. He often speaks in multiple different ways and he, he reveals things and then he confirms things again, prayer, circumstances, his people and his word to reveal himself, his purposes and his ways. And so if you ask him, he will tell you. Then the question becomes, what are you going to do? Not just what are you going to do when you face a situation? Are you going to inquire of the Lord or not? Then there's a second question that comes. Now when God tells you what he wants, what you going to do again? Every time you have a choice, every time to be righteous, to be faithful, every time to pursue the things of God or pursue your own selfish path that will end in independence from God and destruction. Amen. We have that choice every single time. And so, again, there was an unfolding situation at 18 where there were times he's like, yep, Jehoshaphat's on, he's on, he's on, he's on. But he still has a choice every time God reveals something. What you going to do? What you going to do? What you going to do? And when he revealed that it was not going to be successful, he still went. verse chapter 19 Jehoshaphat king of Judah returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem Jehu the prophet the son of Hanani went out to meet him and said to the king should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord because of this the wrath of the Lord is upon you there is however some good in you for you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. When you introduce a king in Chronicles or in Kings, they always tell you, it's almost like reading a, a resume. When it tells you who, who, who they were related to, who their father was, how long they reigned, and all those other kinds of things. And, and in verse 3 of chapter 17 of Chronicles, it says the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years, he walked in the ways of his father, David, that, that his father, David, had followed. David was his father because he David was a man after God's own heart. And if you if they say David is your father, that means that you're a man after God's own heart, that you're going to be a good king, that you're doing the things that God would want you to do. And he's your father spiritually, even though I believe there were four generations between David and Jehoshaphat never met him. Never knew him. That's his distant relative up the chain. But but again, you don't want to be known as and he followed in the ways of of his father before him, who was evil. And he didn't cut down the Asherah poles and he didn't cut down the the Baal altars, those kinds of things. But he did good. So, again, when you get to 19, here it is. The wrath of God is upon you, but there is good in you. Because you've done some things. And so again, at the end of verse 3 and, and 19 of Chronicles, that same question comes up again. What you going to do? Because what you do next shows what you really believe about God. Every time. 
and, and your experience behind you, amen, come on somebody, the experience behind you should alter the, the challenge in front of you and how you respond to it, amen. It won't alter the challenge, but it'll alter the response that you make to the challenge. Your experiences in God should make you wise, amen, should make you make better choices so that the next time I go to the YMCA on 111th Street, and when I open that door to the men's, I, I step back like this because I've already had an experience that said if you stand too close, you might get hit in the face. And if you don't do that, you're just being hard headed and you're just being careless with the experiences God gives you. And so he says to him again, here's where you are. The wrath of God is upon you. But look what happens. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and he went out again among the people and he returned them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land and each of the fortified cities of Judah. And every case that comes, uh, he, he, he talked about setting up the right things. But the, but the beautiful thing is as that passage unfolds, it tells you how he returned, he turned them back to the Lord. He said, my next move is try to clean up my own house. I'm going to stop fooling around with Ahab. I don't need to do that anymore, but I see that there's some work in front of me with my own people and I'm going to start to pour into them and literally I'm going to go out into the hill country. I'm going to go out to the hill country of Ephraim and return everybody back to the Lord. I'm going to appoint judges in the land of each of the fortified cities and tell them to consider carefully what they do. And in Jerusalem Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests, and heads of Israel's families to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes and they lived in Jerusalem he gave orders all of these things he set up and he did it broadly in the kingdom he went out and he went out the the scripture says into every city to make sure people knew what was happening and how they needed to respond through to God through the law of the Lord amen so with that background that's all the setup for one verse Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom on the other side of the sea. Alarm. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And in that resolve, you know, it's not just inquire and ignore. It's inquire and obey. And how do you inquire the Lord? You pray. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. We're not going to be able to get too much further than this today. But right there, he inquired of the Lord. And look at the prayer. First, understand this. You, if you don't read, if you don't know chapter 19, then you don't know how verse four is possible. Verse four is possible because of the work that Jehoshaphat put in in leadership, going around to every town and every city and, and doing and doing the things that he did in chapter 19. So that in verse four, when it says the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord, indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. They didn't just come to, from every town in Judah to seek him because they 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 had that 
that, that was their natural inclination. They came because Jehoshaphat, as the leader, put in the work to make sure that they had returned their hearts to the Lord. And he went to every town in Judah and he made sure the Levites had things set up and he made sure the judges had things. So he set some things in place so that when it comes time for a battle, when it comes time for the invasion, when it comes time for him to say, I want to inquire the Lord, the, he obviously put the word out and the people responded. They came together to seek help from the Lord because that's what they knew that their leader wanted them to do. Amen. He put in the work. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new new courtyard and said. Oh, God, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Praise is in every phase of victory. And when we talk about inquiring of the Lord, there is praise in the prayer. The patterns that you see in scripture over and over, and we'll just deal with a couple, and this is where we're going to end. The patterns you see in scriptures, you do not approach the throne of God. If you understand who you're talking to, you don't approach him without praise. Blessings and glory and honor, they all belong to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Don't. Don't approach the, even before you start with a petition, even when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, I'm going to teach you how to pray. The first thing you say is our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is thy name. Give him some praise before you, before you start begging. Amen. Before there's, before you talk about protection in that prayer, before you, before you talk about the petition around protection or provision give us this day our daily bread before you talk about those kinds of things he said listen the first thing you want to give up when you talk to God and you inquire the Lord you better be about the business of praise our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so when you see that prayer, and that's the only prayer we'll deal with today, but you see when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, start with praise. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh Lord, it's not just the praise, but the, but your purpose. We want to see your purpose done. Amen. Do you see, do you see the power of the, of the order of things? It, 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 it makes sense. It's like we praise and then we want to talk about your purpose and give us this day our daily bread. Okay. Provision. I need some provision from you. And, and, and then there's some pardoning. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's pardon. There's, there's a prayer for people and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil protection. It's there. 
But it all starts with praise. You have to know who you're talking to. You have to know what he's done. You have to know who he is. And when Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord, when he inquired of the Lord, he started with praise because praise is in every phase of victory in the battle. And when you inquire of the Lord, you start out by saying, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Oh, our Lord, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Come on, somebody. They have lived in it and built a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. In that prayer, it starts out with praise, who he is and what he's done. But then he, he relies upon a promise of God in, in chapter, in, in verse 9, when he says, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or presence before this temple that bears your name, we cry out to you and our distress you will hear us and save us you cannot pray the promises of god back to him in prayer if you do not know the promises of god and where are the promises of god the promises of god are in the word of god so apparently jehoshaphat knew that second Chronicles seven said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive sin. Then will I heal their land. He said, we're in distress. We know where we're supposed to go. You think it's a, it's a coincidence that they're all gathered at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard when he starts that prayer? Jehoshaphat knows because he's resolved because he has he has learned from the scar of chapter 18. He's reversed course in chapter 19 to do exactly what God wants so that when the battle comes and the invasion comes, when you're minding your business and the enemy is trying to menace you, he knows what he should do. He's not going to be stressful. He's going to be praiseful. He knows what God wants. He says, I'm going to inquire and I'm going to start out with the prayer. And in the prayer, I'm going to start off with a praise and then I'll move to the promise of God and then I will finally petition him for what I need and when he says in verse 12 oh our Lord will you not judge them for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you If you want to get God's attention, admit to him that you can't do something. Admit to him that he can do it and you can't. That's humility. Lord, I can't do this. This vast army is coming against us and we don't know why, what to do. That's why I'm talking to you. We don't know what to do. I'm not going to call my mama. I'm not going to just Google it. I know that my strength, my hope, everything comes from you. And so I'm going to look to the hills from whence cometh my help. And I'm going to say my eyes are on you. We don't have any strength. You have all the strength. We don't have any power. You have all the power. We don't know what to do, but you do. That's why our eyes are on you. You want to get God's attention? Woo! Pray his word back to him. 
praise him. And then when you petition him for what you want, you do it in such a way that there's humility. Jehoshaphat knew that because he was resolved and he was resolved because he had been scarred and learned a lesson. Don't let a scar that you have not allow you to have a lesson to go along with it. Because if not, you may get another scar in a similar situation or you may end up with no scar, but you may end up losing your life losing your place losing things that you can't get back oh don't you love what Jehu said to him you messed up the wrath of God is upon you but there is some good in you he just left it like that what you gonna do what you gonna do Jehoshaphat said I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to do I'm gonna prepare the people I don't know when the battle's coming but I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to do mind my business stop fooling around with Ahab and mind my business so that I will be resolved to inquire of the Lord. Amen.